I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading 1 Kings chapters 12 through 14. I've entitled this next section, Breaking Up is Hard to Do. We're reading 1 Kings chapter 12 verses 1 through 15. We find the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 10, but we actually uh, have divided it into two different days reading, and so we won't be looking at uh, that passage until the 22nd of August. But uh, So today we'll just read the one passage, 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 1. And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now therefore make thou the grievous service of thy father and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter, and we will serve thee. And he said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived, and said, How do ye advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day, and wilt serve them, and answer them, and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men, which they had given him, and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him, and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people, who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter? And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. And now, whereas my father did laid you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke, My father hath chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly, and forsook the old men's counsel that they gave him, and spake to them after the counsel the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Well, the Boam boys, that's what I call them. Rehoboam was Solomon's son, by an Ammonite woman, by the way. And Jeroboam was Solomon's chief superintendent of forced labor. They're front and center after Solomon's death. The prophet Ahijah, back in 1 Kings chapter 11, 
verses 29 to 39, he'd already spoken on behalf of God that Jeroboam would be king over ten tribes. That being the case, these complications at Shechem are just a formality. The representatives of the northern tribes speak up after Solomon's death and say to King Rehoboam, We're overtaxed and oppressed. Rehoboam's senior advisors who had previously served Solomon give their counsel to Rehoboam by saying, They're overtaxed and oppressed. Rehoboam's childhood buddies, now advisors, however, prevail with their advice, causing Rehoboam to reply to the ten tribes, You think you're oppressed now? You ain't seen nothing yet. Rehoboam makes a very bad decision, but in reality, it had already been prophesied by the prophet Ahijah that Israel would split. This is the action by Rehoboam that gets credit for the division of the kingdom of Israel into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. But keep in mind, though this isn't really the reason for the split, the real reason is found back in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11, which says, Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. That's right. God even speaks to Solomon and tells him that after his reign, his kingdom will be split. And it's all because of Solomon's tolerance for paganism, because of those women, those pagan women that he'd married. So here's the reign of King Rehoboam from 931 B.C. to 913 B.C. Got a little information box about him there in the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today. You may want to take a look at that. So now we have two kingdoms and a little bit of a math problem, which we'll talk about here in verses 16 to 24. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we with David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, O Israel. Now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed into their tents. But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute, and all Israel stoned him with stones that he died. Therefore King Rehoboam made speed to get him up to his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, and hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam the son of Solomon. But the word of God came into Shemaim, the man of God, saying, Speaking to Rehoboam the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. They have hearkened therefore to the word of the Lord, and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. Well, here we see in this passage that the inevitable happens. Israel splits. Now, it gets a little complicated here, so follow closely. Since Simeon has been absorbed into Judah, if you recall, they were given just certain cities within the, the territory that Judah had been allocated back in Joshua. 
And also, Benjamin joins Judah here in this passage. Doesn't that just leave nine tribes for the northern kingdom of Israel? Well, it's a fuzzy area in Jewish history. Many scholars believe that the largest portion of Benjamin sided with the northern kingdom, while a few in Benjamin, in closer proximity to Judah, sided with the southern kingdom. In fact, Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom, and yet it was located within the borders of the originally prescribed tribe of Benjamin. So it appears that Judah's borders were expanded to include a portion of southern Benjamin after the split, taking in Jerusalem itself. Some of Benjamin's fighting men joined with Judah, we see here in verse 21. We also see Judah's army in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 8, including 280,000 Benjamites. The only logical explanation is that part of Benjamin must have left the northern kingdom and joined with Judah as part of Judah itself. Property settlements, you know, after divorce are almost always messy. Verse 20 says, There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So let's recap. The prophet Ahijah, in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 29 to 39, he divided Jeroboam's garment into 12 pieces back there, but then immediately prophesied that the pieces represent the tribes of Israel. He then proclaimed that 10 tribes will follow Jeroboam and only one tribe will follow Rehoboam. Hey, Ahijah, what about that piece of garment still lying there in the middle? While it's not explained in that passage, that must be the tribe of Simeon. They never received their own distinct boundary lines in the distribution of property after the Canaan entry back in Joshua chapter 19. Instead, they received certain cities within the boundaries of Judah itself. Incidentally, this dividing out of the ten tribes is also seen in Second Samuel chapter 19, verse 43, in that dispute between Judah and the other ten tribes. It seems certain that Simeon here just must be included with Judah. Now, Rehoboam can't seem to accept what has really happened here. He sends Adoram, his chief tax collector, to the northern tribes. Hey, uh, tax collectors aren't very popular under the best of circumstances. And here the people of the northern tribes stone him to death. Surely war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam is the only solution here. But God says no through the prophet Shemaiah. Rehoboam calls off the attack and the two kingdoms remain intact. And we'll see more about the war plans when we get over to Second Chronicles chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. In 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 to 33, we find a new kingdom and a new religion. Incidentally, this is paralleled over in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verses 13 through 17, but we'll be looking at that on August the 22nd. Verse 25 of 1 Kings chapter 12, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and dwelt therein, and went out from thence, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam king of Judah. And they shall kill me, and go again to Rehoboam king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel, and made two calves of gold, and said unto them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel and the other 
put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin. For the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made an house of high places, and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burnt incense. Well, here we go. Jeroboam establishes Shechem as his capital city, but he perceives that there's going to be a little bit of a worship problem here. He can't have folks going back to Jerusalem to sacrifice in the temple. They might just defect back to that old kingdom. So Jeroboam establishes a new pagan religion for the northern kingdom, complete with the return of not one, but two golden calves, non-Levite priests, and a special feast day one month after the Feast of Tabernacles, along with some special altars to boot. Like I said, we have a new religion for the northern kingdom. He placed the two golden calves in Israel for convenience. First Kings chapter 12, verse 29 says of these two golden calves, And he set one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. Well, so much for Ahijah's conditional promise from God to Jeroboam, if he would serve the one true God, back in First Kings chapter 11, verses 29 to 39. Jeroboam, by the way, never served God, not even from the very beginning, not even from the first day. It's interesting that Jeroboam quotes Aaron of all people after he commissions the worship of the golden calves back in verse 28. He says, Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. That's what Aaron said when he made his calf back in Exodus chapter 32, verse 4. Let me read it to you. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool. After he had made it a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Do those northern tribes not remember the rest of that story? Now, in the written notes of BibleTalk.org, I have a little yellow information box there to show you the reign of the first king of Israel, the northern kingdom, King Jeroboam, 931 to 910 B.C. That brings us to 1 Kings chapter 13. Jeroboam gets a take on what God thinks about his new religion in this passage. Verse 1, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar and the word of the Lord, and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born into the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places, and burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. And it came to pass when King Rehoboam heard the saying of the man of God, which had cried against the altar in Bethel, that he put forth his hand from the altar, saying, Lay hold on him. And his hand, which he put forth against him, dried up, so that he could not pull it in again to him. The altar also was rent, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. 
And the king answered and said unto the man of God, Entreat now the face of the Lord thy God, and pray for me, that my hand may be restored me again. And the man of God besought the Lord, and the king's hand was restored him again, and became as it was before. And the king said unto the man of God, Come home with me, and refresh thyself, and I will give thee a reward. And the man of God said unto the king, If thou wilt give me half thine house, I will not go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so was it charged me by the word of the Lord, saying, Eat no bread, nor drink water, nor turn again by the same way that thou camest. So he went another way, and returned not by the way that he came to Bethel. Now, here's a hint. God doesn't like Jeroboam's new religion. An unnamed man of God comes from the southern kingdom while Jeroboam is worshiping at his own home-built altar. He makes a prophecy of death and defilement against that altar to Jeroboam and withers Jeroboam's hand. At Jeroboam's pleading, he restores his hand, but he doesn't repair the altar that he just split in two before Jeroboam's own eyes. However, the prophecy isn't retracted. We won't see it fulfilled until we get over to 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 15 through 20. That's during the reign of Josiah. He's king of Judah 300 or so years later. At that time, Josiah does everything prophesied in verse 2 as he institutes reforms after the fall of the northern kingdom. Jeroboam makes an offer of hospitality toward the prophet, but the prophet refuses. The prophet had been told not to lodge in the land, but to head straight back to Judah, by a different route, by the way. And then in chapter 13, verses 11 through 34, we have a story of an angel. Let's read that, verse 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel, the words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. And he said unto his son, Saddle me the ass. So they saddled him the ass, and he rode thereon. And went after the man of God, and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So went back with him, and did eat bread in his house, and drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came unto the prophet that brought him back. And he cried unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, and hast eaten bread and drunk water in the place of the which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come into the sepulcher of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the ass to wit for the prophet whom he had brought back. 
And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way. And the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way, the lion standing by the carcass, and they came and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him unto the lion, which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord, which he spake unto him. And he spake to his son, saying, Saddle me the ass, and they saddled him. And he went and found his carcass cast in the way, and the ass and the lion standing by the carcass. The lion had not eaten the carcass, nor torn the ass. And the prophet took up the carcass of the man of God, and laid it upon the ass, and brought it back. And the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid his carcass in his own grave, and they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And it came to pass, after he had buried him, that he spake to his son, saying, when I am dead, then bury me in the sepulchre wherein the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying which he cried by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places which are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. After this thing Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priest of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him. And he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. Now you recall from the first ten verses that the bold prophet who confronted Jeroboam was not to lodge in the land. But what if another prophet claims to have a word from the Lord that supersedes your word? Well, despite his personal orders from God, the bold prophet agrees to lodge with a local prophet. The local prophet claims he received a contradictory word from the Lord, making it acceptable to lodge with him. The events that follow are just <laughs> ironic. The lying yet hospitable prophet, the duperless calling, while hosting the other prophet, the one who warned Jeroboam, let's call him the dupee, then gets a prophecy while they're there at the supper table, condemning the action of the other prophet for heeding his own so-called word from the Lord. You just can't trust anybody these days. He prophesies the bold prophet's death. Now, who's going to do the execution? How about we get a lion to do it? After the bold prophet is slain by the lion, the lying prophet feels great remorse. He collects the bones of the bold prophet and has them placed in his own sepulcher. There must be a lesson here for all of us. When you are certain the Lord has given you direction, don't dare allow yourself to be sidetracked by others, regardless of the title they use to identify themselves. Well, we see in this passage that Jeroboam just continues on, emboldened with his new false pagan religion, he appoints some more rotten priests and even becomes one himself, we see. Well, here's the sad result of Jeroboam's life in verse 34. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from off the face of the earth. You ever think about this? It's just hard to get a good prophecy when you're an evil king. Well, that's the subject of chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. 
And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam, and get to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah, the prophet, which told me that I should be king over this people. And take with thee ten loaves and cracknels and a cruise of honey, and go to him. He shall tell thee what shall become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so, and arose, and went to Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were set by reason of his age. And the Lord said unto Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her, for it shall be, when she cometh in, that she shall feign herself to be another woman. And it was so, when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet, she came in at the door, that he said, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam, why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. Go tell Jeroboam, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, For as much as I exalted thee from among the people, and made thee prince over my people Israel, and rent the kingdom away from the house of David, and gave it thee, and yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, and who followed me with all his heart, to do that only which was right in mine eyes, but has done evil above all that were before thee. For thou hast gone and made thee other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger, and hast cast me behind thy back. Therefore, behold, I will bring evil upon the house of Jeroboam, and will cut off from Jeroboam him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel, and will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam, as a man taketh away dung, till it be all gone. Him that dieth of Jeroboam in the city shall the dogs eat, and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat, for the Lord hath spoken it. Arise thou, therefore, get thee to thine own house, and when thy feet enter into the city, the child shall die, and all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found some good thing toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord shall raise him up a king over Israel, who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam that day. But what? Even now. For the Lord shall smite Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and he shall root up Israel out of this good land which he gave to their fathers, and shall scatter them beyond the river, because they have made their groves provoking the Lord to anger. And he shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam, who did sin, and who made Israel to sin. And Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. And when she came to the threshold of the door, the child died. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake with the hand of his servant Ahijah the prophet. And the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he warred and how he reigned, Behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. And the days which Jeroboam reigned were two and twenty years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab his son reigned in his stead. In this passage, Jeroboam's son, Abijah, is sick, and he needs a little prophetic knowledge concerning his boy. He remembers the prophet who told him that he'd be king. That prophet was Ahijah back in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 29-39. to 39. Jeroboam has his wife disguise herself and head out to see Ahijah. So what does a good prophetic reading cost? Well, about ten loaves of bread and some cake and a jar of honey. 
At least that's how Jeroboam valued it. Now, please, if Ahijah was a real prophet, and by the way, he was, wouldn't it just make sense that Jeroboam's wife's disguise was not going to fool him? Well, yep, should have been expected. Though his eyesight was poor, he knew and prophesied that because of Jeroboam's sin, the child would die upon her return. And by the way, that's exactly what happened. But wait, there's more. He also prophesied that Jeroboam's lineage would be cut off. After 22 years of reigning on the throne of Israel, Jeroboam dies, leaving the throne to another son, Nadab. But he was killed just two years later in 1 Kings chapter 15, verses 25 to 34. Which, by the way, results in the extinction of Jeroboam's descendants, thus marking the end of the northern kingdom's first dynasty. Notice particularly 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 8, regarding David. Here's what it says. And yet thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, and who followed me with all his heart, to do that only which was right in mine eyes. With all of David's shortcomings, disobedience toward God wasn't one of them. That's why it's said of David that he was a man after God's own heart. If you'd like to read more about that particular statement, which is made numerous times in Scripture, then you may want to take a look at uh, the reading for May the 15th in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Incidentally, I should point out that all the modern translations have cleaned up the language of verse 10, where males are referred to as those that pisseth against the wall. In actuality, that's precisely what the Hebrew text says in that passage. It's a Hebrew idiom used another five times in the Old Testament as a reference to males. The editors of the King James Version simply transferred the Hebrew idiom into English rather than making an attempt to culturally sanitize it for the readers. Meanwhile, we find in verses 21 to 31, evil prevails in Judah under Rehoboam. Now, incidentally, this passage is paralleled in Second Chronicles chapter 12, which, as I mentioned earlier, we'll be looking at that passage on August the 22nd. 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 and one years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamah, and Ammonitus. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed, above all that their fathers had done. For they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also Sodomites in the land, and they did according to all the abomination of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He even took away all, and he took away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. And King Rehoboam made in their stead brazen shields and committed them into the hands of the chief of the guard, which kept the door of the king's house. And it was so when the king went into the house of the Lord that the guard bare them and brought them back into the guard chamber. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? 
And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. And Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. And his mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. And Abijah, his son, reigned in his stead. Well, in this passage, we see that Solomon's son, Rehoboam, he isn't doing any better in Judah than Jeroboam was doing in the northern kingdom. He's the son of Solomon and an Ammonite woman. That's a problem right there from the beginning. Rehoboam, by the way, he's an evil king in Judah. He worships pagan gods and even allows male homosexual prostitutes in the land. He has a 17-year rocky ride as king of the southern kingdom, Judah. Being continually at war with Jeroboam just added to his losing campaign against the Egyptian king Shishak, who comes in and takes all of Solomon's accumulated wealth from the palace and the temple. As I said, it was a tough 17 years. And then, Rehoboam dies. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton. 